Hello and welcome to another exciting and informative episode of Rogues in the House, a podcast focused on the genre and the love of all things sword and sorcery, delivered with 100% enthusiasm by self-proclaimed experts. So, grab your walking staff and pack your Lembus, because the rogues are on an adventure. We're off on an adventure. How you doing, Matt? I'm going on an adventure. <laughs> How's that? Yes, we are. There we go. There we go. Uh, I do some. I do some pretty good Lord of the Rings voices, uh, which may surprise nobody because I I'm that guy. You um, are that guy. Yes, you're most famous for your Arnold Schwarzenegger, but uh, I think this might be an appropriate podcast and episode for your Lord of the Rings impersonations. Yes, we will see. I'm going to try and just slip them in where uh, I feel like they belong. Okay. Um, and Dean, of course, today we are not on this journey alone, are we? We are not. We have another member on this little journey, and I would like to introduce to you a good friend of mine, Cindy Keller. She has been someone that I've known for, oh my gosh, Cindy, how long have we known each other? Um, 2001, that movie came out, didn't it? Yep, that's right. That's Bingo. Yeah, 2001. years. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we've known each other for quite a long time. And uh, when we decided we were going to do a Lord of the Rings episode, I said, I know someone that I would love to invite on because if there's anybody who is not uh, famous, and I don't want to say that Cindy is not famous, but, you know, <laughs> she knows more about Lord of the Rings than I think anybody else that I know of. So that's why she's here because she's got a lot of greek or greek a lot of geek cred <laughs> i don't know maybe you got greek blood in you too i don't know <laughs> lord of the rings is is quite famous for its uh greek mythology uh no no okay <laughs> no i don't think so not, not a big part of it no okay. no i don't think so maybe finish and <laughs> yeah. you know northern germanic type of yeah, mythology yeah, but yeah. no no i know i'm uh i was uh Trying to take us on an unexpected journey there. Right. So, you see, hmm. um, Cindy, why don't you kind of introduce yourself? Uh, we both read your uh, your geek cred uh, and <laughs> Tolkien cred, but uh, feel free to introduce yourself to the listening audience, and uh, we'll just let you take it from there. And then we're gonna step into the bazaar. Well, um, like probably a lot of people. Um, started on Tolkien and Lord of the Rings when I was very little. My dad read me out loud The Hobbit when I was, oh, maybe five years old. Um, and as soon as I could read it on my own, I would, you know, go back. I didn't, you know, read it cover to cover. I would just, mostly I read the chapter with Gollum. I, that kind of surprises me looking back. I'm like, why was I thinking the the nasty, slimy underground part was the best? But it was, that was, you know, that was the most dramatic, suspenseful Um and and very personal Bilbo's right there with someone who is becoming his enemy and how is he going to get out of it so that was that was the and um then we read Lord of the Rings and I just kept on reading it <laughs> every year at least till by the time I graduated college it was just that that story was basically the background landscape of my imagination that just uh, everything else compared to that there was if there wasn't any comparison then we're not going to bother. Um, and later on, as the movies started to um, become, started to swing into gear, uh, I became a writer for the OneRing.net. Um, 
essays about Tolkien themes and um, answering fan questions. And, oh, we had a great time and ended up writing uh, writing a couple of books, um, The People's Guide to J.R.R. Tolkien and More People's Guide to J.R.R. Tolkien, which was a lot of our essays from the site, but um, a lot of stuff that we then wrote just for the books. So it's been it's been great fun. Yeah, Cindy and I, like I said, uh, we've known each other for 21 years. We first met when she was going to host a uh, kind of a costume party, a premiere party at one of the local theaters. And I said, oh, that sounds cool. I want to be part of that. But then I kind of started stirring up the pot a little bit by saying, I know of a really great theater to do this at. And I don't want to get into too many details, but it was one of these great old vintage theaters where like Groucho Marx and and a lot of vaudeville acts were at. And we did it and we took over that theater and we had, what, 400 people come to that party? At least. Yeah. And And we were all dressed up and everything. We did. We took over that theater. I remember. I mean, our party was the whole the whole place. Everybody just waiting and Nobody had seen this movie. Nope. You know, this is 21 years later, but we were all waiting. It was there the first day of the first showing, yeah. seven o'clock on a Friday night or a Thursday night. Yeah. And man, we had 400 people packed into this theater and the theater owner was in love with us. <laughs> oh, he was so great. It just could not have gone greater. So, yeah, so Dean, all the kudos for saying, Hey, I know this theater because otherwise it would have just been, you know, the Metroplex. Yeah. So, so that's how Cindy and I know each other. And uh, so, but before we get into our discussion, we always like to go take a little trip, a little side trip to our bazaar of the bizarre. All right, Matt, what do you found that's kind of caught your attention? First up, huh? I, uh, I'm i never first up, I feel. I know. I feel like I always just throw someone else under the bus and say, you do it. Yeah, well, um, I'm driving somebody... this bus now. Yeah, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, so <laughs> we record at 9 o'clock my time, and being an older person, uh, or well, <laughs> feeling old these days, uh I have to do something to like, you know, keep my vitality up while I'm waiting to record. So I decided I'd go to a movie by myself, like a total loser. Um, and it was awesome. I actually love the experience. I went to see a film called X. It is directed by Ty West, who is uh, sort of like an indie kind of filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen several. I think I've seen all of his films, actually. Um, I would say X is a, an elevated slasher, um, sort of a pretentious term for a horror blood and guts movie that has a little more, um, something, something. Yeah. A little more of a slower contemplative pace. Um, but it was, uh, a lot of, you're able to think about how people are going to die in the next (laughs) scene. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of. I mean, there's obviously a real art to, uh, to horror films and, scares and gags and all of these things. Um, but I thought this one was really good. Um, there was some interesting themes in it. It was kind of, um, I don't know, looking at some societal things, had some Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibes. Um, I really don't want to say too much. I think it's a film going in cold is maybe better, but if you like slasher fare, um, and you don't mind something that takes its time, um, and you're not a prude, <laughs> mm-hmm. check out that film. Um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, 
Yeah. Next up, I will probably go see the Northman all by myself because I'm going open a night. Yeah. When is that? When is that premiere? I do want to go uh, see that. It's late ish April, I think. Latest. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Maybe I already I, I got in contact with my grimdark magazine contacts. I was like, I'm going to want to write a review on this film. So mm-hmm. I uh, I basically threw down the claim to uh, do that. So I'm going to try and see it as soon as possible and write that up. Yeah, it looks like the most sword and sorcery thing to come to the big screen in a long, long time. Yeah, and it's going to flop miserably because the budget's Why? huge. It, the budget's huge, and arty films are not doing well at the mm-hmm. box office right now. So Yeah, pretty much. If you're not a superhero, you ain't shit yeah. in the theaters anymore. Yeah, so. which which is fine in, in the sense that like we still have all kinds of great uh, non-superhero movies coming out on streaming sites and what have you. But when you're getting into the hundred or ninety million dollar range, you, you got to have those returns. And I don't see it happening. How in the world? A hundred to a, you know, ninety to a hundred million dollars for a film. I'm oh, my God. Yeah, I, th- I think it was supposed to be about sixty five and then COVID helped balloon that budget. And then you got to throw in marketing. So it needs about three hundred mil to do anything. I was reading an article on it today. Anyways, do you know, do you know how many people's problems with like water sanitation we can <laughs> solve with that with one film budget? <laughs> oh, man, I know. I know. Uh, all right. Well, hey, Cindy, have you got anything for our uh, very bizarre bazaar? that may have caught your attention in the last few weeks or so? Sadly, no, I'm not <laughs> in, in the, um, the upstream of the, the cultural offerings lately. Um, and that's okay. That's perfectly okay. Because, you know, you've got a kid and a, and a family at home that you got to take care of and a full-time job and, you know, that happens. So uh, that's why Matt and I pick up the slack for that because we are, you know, <laughs> We waste our time doing other things. <laughs> so um, I've got a couple of things here. And one of them is, I don't know if Matt, you've even seen this yet, but one of our favorite authors, Mr. Joe Abercrombie mm. has, uh, is going to be releasing another trilogy. Yep. Read that today. Yeah. It's called, it begins with the devils. I don't think we have a name of the trilogy yet, but uh, it's a new epic trilogy and our favorite grim dark author. If you want to call him grim dark is starting another one. And what I found, I read this in the synopsis um, in a magic riddled Europe under constant threat of elf invasion. Uh, at that point, um, Logan is out. Our other rogue, he's out. As soon as, you know, you mentioned elves and things like that, he's like, you know, I don't want them in my historical fiction. <laughs> so anyway, uh, 10-year-old Pope, this is getting very intriguing. A 10-year-old Pope occasionally needs services that cannot be performed by the righteous. That's very intriguing right there. Mm-hmm. And so, sealed deep beneath the catacombs, cathedrals, and relic stalls of the sacred city lie the secret chapel of the Holy Expediency. Don't know what that is. For its highly disposable congregation, that does sound cool, disposable congregation, Mm -hmm. Uh, including a self-serving magician, a self-satisfied vampire, an oversexed werewolf, (laughs) (laughs) And the night cursed with immortality, there is no mission that cannot be turned into a calamitous bloodbath. So this is going to be what he described as a the best of fantasy with the most gripping elements of heist, spy, and thriller fiction. I cannot wait to get my hands on this. Yeah, it's it's kind of a 
it's kind of a surprising, like I was almost like, is this April 1st? Yeah. Um, no just kidding. for a second. Right. Cause it, yeah, it's, but it came out today. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I think it's legit. Um, but yeah, I, at first glance, I would not imagine that's Joe Abercrombie, but it sounds like he's kind of just, um, what do you call it? I mean, he's just kind of letting go and giving her as we I say in know. Canada. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 I think it's, yeah, it sounds very exciting. Um, I mean, honestly, I'd read anything he wrote, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I'm not a big guy. Like I like elves, um, where elves traditionally lie, like in Lord of the Rings, that's part of it, man. Yes. Right. You know, I'm not yeah. like that. That's, that's part of the thing. What I don't like is constantly reusing lazy tropes and things like that just to fill out your fantasy. But if I know Joe Abercrombie, like I think I do, he will do something interesting with an elf invasion. Like, yeah, it, it'll be something. I don't know. I think so. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. I don't know. Um, it didn't, I didn't read far enough to see when it releases, but it'll probably be early of next year. I'd imagine. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got one other thing and you probably, if you follow us on our Facebook page, you'll note that um, I went, took a little trip. I took an adventure. I took a journey ah, yes. to the place called Gary Con, where we sat down and we had some good gaming fun with the Gygax family and all of the other people who are like kind of big wigs, or I should say the uh, elder gods of gaming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we had a good time, but I'm sitting around uh, at registration, literally not more than 10 minutes. Am I at the con? And I see this dude who looks familiar and I'm like, He's wearing a mask because masks were mandated, but that was quickly thrown to the side within a half hour of showing up at the con. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> oh gosh. When you have big wigs at the con not wearing the mask, yeah. the people who organize it, then it's kind of a moot point for everybody else. Yeah, I see. Um, anyway, it was none other than our good old Jay Ray, Jason Ray Carney at Gary Con with his wonderfully fun and incredibly cool wife, Nicole. And we met up and they had not much going on. We didn't have much going on. So we sat down, we played some games, we drank some spotted cow beer and had a great time. So that was awesome. a highlight. So two of the rogues were in the house at Gary Con. Yeah. I love it when rogues meet in the wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's about all we got for the bazaar of the bazaar. So uh, let's get so, into our topic. Yeah. Let's get into uh, the one ring, as it were. Yes, the one ring, the one ring to rule them all. So, I mean, where do you start with something like the Lord of the Rings? I mean, oh, my gosh, what is it? It's maybe, Cindy, you can back me up on this, but hasn't it been like the number one best-selling book next to the Bible for decades? Maybe since like, I mean, maybe Harry Potter has taken that spot over. Yeah, I don't know. Is that like has has Harry Potter? Surpassed? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think. I wonder if Cindy knows she's muted. Yeah, I don't know if she says she's muted. I'm asking her to unmute. <laughs> there she goes. No, I didn't know. Sorry. Um, yeah, the best selling thing. I don't actually know. I know that it keeps selling, seventy mm-hmm. some, eighty some years afterward when um so 
I don't know if it's easy to know just how few books make it out of their own era. Mm. There are things that um, are could be best selling on then you know the list next week that will never be known by people twenty years from now. Good point. And that's actually most of what's on the book lists. Things like um, Sherlock Holmes, The Lord of the Rings, um, Jane Austen, Anne of Green Gables. I'm thinking about um, one author or one set of books from various eras. There aren't many that make it out of their own era. And this one keeps going generation after generation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I will say, even though Anne of Green Gables is from an adjacent province uh, to me, and I, I drove past their house, the, the, the Green Gables house this summer. Did you really? Wow. Yeah, nice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go so ahead. Visit up there. <laughs> really? <laughs> it's me. Yeah. I don't even, you know, PEI. It's like, yeah, vacation. It was actually a nicer vacation than I expected, but I suppose I take it for granted. Um, but I, 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 I prefer Lord of the Rings to uh, the, the Green Gables. Well, certainly, but <laughs> just examples as examples of which books have made it out of their eras. I'm yeah, trying to think, you're right. Yeah, you know, it's... from from Tolkien's era, C.S. Lewis endures. Not even Dorothy Sayers. Um, she comes back into print. Well, she's in print, but her books, eh, it's these ones endure generations after generation. So, what do you think it is about? The Lord of the Rings that just pleases so many generations of fans. I mean, is it what is it? The, I mean, what gets I under our I, skin that we can't let go of it? I think on the simplest level, it's the good versus evil. And it's the best, one of the best examples we have. Same, same, same energy, same neighborhood as Star Wars. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. which also will be around for several more generations. Um, we, it's the great victory of clear good over unmitigated evil. And you see them doing it. You see how they do it. The balance between the balance between the individual um, individual lives doing the work versus um them not getting too much involved in that, in the character's inner thoughts. Um, we see them doing the work. In that, in that regard, it's kind of like your beloved Star Trek, Dean. Mm-hmm. We see them doing the work, although, of course, with TV, they get into a lot more of the emotions and the, right. and the feelings between the people. But we see them doing the work. We don't spend a whole ton of time or brain power analyzing their motives or their feelings about it or mm-hmm. their um so there's a lot we don't see but we see this work going on okay that's a very good point and i would have to agree with that i think matt would too that so much of what we're reading now you get a lot of like you know the inner thoughts and the background and yeah. like you said the motivations yeah the the sort of hot thing still in fantasy seems to be um third person limited pov and so so you get those thoughts right it's not it's not far removed from the character and then of course if you're looking at ya it's a lot of first person or third person present tense which is like trying to keep that moment um you know to keep that gripping but 
I think Lord of the Rings, um, as Cindy's saying, in, in, in my opinion, it's, um, it's those epic, timeless themes, right? Like the, the one thing that always comes up for me, I've brought this up so many times uh, teaching English, is that, that small moment where Gandalf is talking to um, Frodo and Moria. And to be honest, I'm having a hard time separating what happened in the book and what happened uh, in the movies. I read the book in Everybody high school. Now. Yeah. yeah, that's, yeah. that's because, something we need to talk because, about. Yeah, Because of how well, I got to give it to him, because of how well Peter Jackson and his team did that, everybody now has. I, ha I am looking up the book right now mm -hmm. to make sure I know what was actually said as opposed to what Jackson said was said. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's just it. I was kind of glancing through today and looking for things, but um, you know, just the idea of where he's talking about Gollum and uh, Frodo is saying pity nobody killed him. And Gandalf like kind of instructs him. He's like, it was pity that stayed his hand. Um, many who deserve to die uh, get life and those who, you know, deserve punish or life end up dying <laughs> so, yeah yeah sometimes exactly. the good die young but it's not yeah. it's not our place to dole it out right it's not our place to decide and i just feel like you can that that one has always stuck with me and there's been times in my life where i've even just felt angry um not that i want to go i <laughs> <laughs> go and act vengeance it's just the idea of like realizing that there's certain things even though your emotions lead you to a place it is not your call to make, right? Mm -hmm. We had the Oscars the other night, right? <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> it's like, as much as he was uh, angry at the moment, he it was not the right decision to enact violence in that case. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. So uh, Cindy brought up a point. Um, not that we want to stop talking about the movies, but you cannot mm. talk about Lord of the Rings. Or not the, we don't want to stop talking about the books, but you cannot mention Lord of the Rings without almost hand in hand mentioning the movies. Yeah. My daughter just started beginning, uh, started reading the Lord of the Rings. Uh, wait, I've got to back up a little bit. No, 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 no. She was far too young for that. She saw the Lord of the Rings and then started reading them. But for her, I think, and I'm sure this is for many people, the definitive authoritarian authoritative version is the movie now, mm. you know, and not that she, she understands there's a difference and there's so much that's not in the movies that is in the books and stuff like that. And the stuff that's not in the movies that is in the books, it's a good choice as to why it's not there. I mean, I mean, yes, Tom Bombadil is a big part, but Oh my God, that was one of the worst <laughs> chapters ever. Yeah, no, he had to go. I, I will, I will fight anybody on this. It's not, even if you thought that chapter is cool, which is fair, that's fine. In a book, our expectations and the pacing and all that jazz is different, right? Mm -hmm. But there's just, anymore. there's no convincing me that including that scene wouldn't have hurt the film because it would have. I, I just think it would have. The pacing, the, uh, the uh, you know, the dread is mounting and then, oh, here we go. It's Tom Bombadil. <laughs> no, it won't. That won't work on screen, man. No. Yeah. Would you agree, Cindy? Yes, that it would have been a it kind of on the same concept of why they couldn't include the scouring of the Shire either. Yeah, that would have been two endings mm -hmm. you have. And the book does have two endings and they mm -hmm. make it work. But that kind of that doesn't work in a movie. Every time I've seen one, I'm like, 
why did that movie have two endings that should right. have ended, you know, at X? And you cannot bring things to that kind of a climax and then go back. Mm-hmm. It's going backwards. You're going from the climax of the whole thing. We have defeated the major enemy. What do you mean we have to fight another battle? This one isn't even. Yeah, yeah you can't do that. And Tom Bombadil is just about the same in the sense that it certainly wouldn't have worked in the way that Jackson set it up because, you know, in the books, uh, Frodo took, what was it? Several more years after Gandalf told him what the ring was before he actually left, Mm. or I guess it was months, but it was years Gandalf spent finding out and Frodo, you know, Frodo grew from, you know, 33 to 50. And finally Gandalf comes back and says, well, this is what's going on. And Frodo's like, okay, well, and I'll get my house sold and I'll, I'll deal with all of this. And it was months later, it was at least a year before he left. So everything moved much slower. So this is their day-to-day life. So they can, they, they, they can spend a week um, going through uh, the old forest and meeting up with Tom Bombadil and learning what he is. Mm -hmm. The way Jackson set it up, it was like, this is the one ring you must leave tonight, yeah. right now. <laughs> yes. You cannot, you cannot go from that to, oh, we're going to spend three days listening to basically Father Nature mm-hmm. and learning learning why the ring doesn't have any control over him and why, because, because I'm just now, and I'm just now articulating this, because if the ring doesn't have any control over him, he's not relevant to our story. Yeah. They, yes. they make it work. Yeah. They make it work in the book by showing us, well, they Tolkien has, you know, very specific point to make by showing us Bombadil. But in the movie, he's completely extraneous. The ring doesn't affect him. He cannot affect the ring, importantly. He cannot do anything and therefore he can't help us. He can neither help us nor hurt us, and we don't have time for it. Yeah. Uh, Go yeah, ahead. No, uh, <laughs> I, I think even too, even if they, even if he hadn't set it up that way, and he didn't sort of move the plot quickly, um, he, yeah, even still, it just it wouldn't track well, um, and, and especially too with. Uh, I just wanted to go back to where you're talking about the film has or, or its two endings in the book. But the layperson, most people I talked to, it was like almost a meme before we had memes where people would say the return of the king had five endings. And yeah. it's like, and they were like, oh, I liked all the other ones, but that one took too long to end. And I'm like, dude, this was like 12 hours of movie. Um, you got to take a little time to stick the landing. Like, right, yeah. right. Your attention span is destroyed in the era before smartphones. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. that's that was what happened to uh, Game of Thrones. They tried to wrap up all those loose ends too quickly in a very shortened and truncated season seven. Even though you had like, what, 80 hours to tell that goddamn story? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. It, yeah. But I mean, you know, as I was getting back to, you know, so many people, uh, they can't separate the movies from the books. And I think more people probably now are more familiar with the movies than they are the books. I, am I going out on a limb and saying that? No, no, I I don't think so either. I mean, those, is that a good thing? (laughs) Uh, well, I'll I'll let Cindy take that question, but I have thoughts too. 
I can't say that it's a good thing or a bad thing. Having them familiar with the stories and the characters, having them understand the story that's being told might, I say this with great reluctance and fear and trembling, might be better than them not knowing it at all. Um, and I guess that probably tells me my answer as to how true how true a representation I think the movies were, despite all their flaws, um, because knowing that people, you know, understand the conflict and and the steps that these ordinary people took to solve it. Yeah, that might actually be more important than the fact than than whether or not they've read it. If if the alternative is they don't know it at all, I'd rather have them yeah, completely yeah. love the movies and not be able to stand the books. Right. I mean, I had a friend at the time. We wrote we wrote uh, some columns back and forth sort of tongue in cheek. He never could stand the books. He was totally on board with the movies. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he went on and on and on and on about that exact same thing we were talking about. Pages and pages of singing. Oh, how heavy is my heart? Oh, how light my wandering adventure. Da, 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 da. He could not stand any of that at all. You put him in the movie and now he's in the story. Yeah. And I think that's the case for a lot of folks. I agree. Um, I, I, I always kind of say. If there's like a a famous property and you have some interest in it and you have not read the book or watched the movie, I would every time tell you watch the movie first. And the reason I say that is because there's been so many movies that were really friggin' good and purists can't enjoy them because of the attachment to the book. And I don't even think it's their fault, right? It's that if you have certain images of things in your head, um, you it's just you can't get past it even though you know it's a good movie you can't yep. you can't enjoy it. you can't let go um interestingly i just want to give a tiny piece of where i come from with lord of the rings so every other thing i say on this cast makes sense i read them uh my girlfriend in high school had read them she was very bookish and she was like you have to read these and i was like yeah i do i'm interested in that i play dungeons and dragons of course So I devoured them and read them before the movie came out. And this was like, I graduated in 2000. So I was on the cusp. I had seen a trailer while I was still reading books and I was so hyped and I read all about it. I actually then went to film school uh, before the first movie came out. Like we returned after that Christmas for our next semester. Hmm. Anyways. Uh, sorry, my cats are flipping out here. Um, I uh, Yeah, so I was primed, right? And I was really familiar with the images of Alan Lee and John Howe. And I read those books as a younger person who, you know, I didn't have the same attention to detail that I do when I read things now. I blazed mm-hmm. through them, loved them. And for me, seeing those movies... It was exactly what I imagined. Like all all of those pictures, the major beats were all there. The ones that I thought had to be. So for me, it was almost like a, it was like a holy experience when I saw that movie. Like my, my jaw hit the floor and I couldn't believe it was as successful, not financially, but just as a piece of art as it was. Yeah. Um, Yes, I agree. 
so I feel like I have an interesting point of view where I didn't grow up loving the books and then had all this time to think about them and reflect on them and all of this. I had enough time to get the hype train moving. Then I saw the movie and it blew my mind open. So I'm glad you brought. Yeah, I'm glad. (laughs) Go ahead, Cindy. Yeah, sorry. Say that again. I thought it might be the best of both worlds. You kind of got them exactly. both at once. Wham, bam. Didn't have time to really yeah. get sort of precious or attached. Yeah. <laughs> yes. details so to speak. In the books. I'm also going to go out on a limb here with a little bit of armchair psychology and say, I'm pretty sure there are certain types of people who just aren't gonna get into the book no matter what like mm-hmm. they could love the story they could love every character in it but they would never know that from reading the book i'm reminded of a book i read in from the 1800s in which someone described seeing um, charles dickens read out loud from the stage to an audience and the audience was just enraptured they were in tears they were laughing they loved the story and the author of this book after describing this was saying you know i expected they seemed like they would go to the library and get the next dickens book none of them did mm. she said they were an audience waiting ready made for the radio and the cinema <laughs> and i really just think for some people, that's the way they absorb stories the best, whether it's having someone read it to them, because it's not that they can't understand the text. They can because it's being read to them. Yeah. But they just do. It's like learning styles. They just do yeah. that much better with an audio or audio visual rather mm-hmm. than. And, and some people, uh, I, I always take this poll with my students. I say there's a weird phenomenon where certain people when they read they do not visualize they Mm -hmm. just don't they just read the words they read the words they interpret the information but they don't direct the film in their head right like a like most readers i think do um and that's a that's a phenomenon to me (laughs) like i can't imagine understanding the information without visualizing it right yeah Yeah. um and yeah it's really true because you and it's interesting when you look at these properties lord of the rings is a juggernaut in the publishing world and then it became a juggernaut in the film world yeah. and we still have this dichotomy and there's the Venn diagram where those two fandoms meet, but there's absolutely uh, on, on those, on both sides, there are those who I only do the films and I only do the books. And I you think get those as well. Yeah. I think that I can speak for Cindy and myself here. Um, we both grew up reading the books numerous times. Um, and so just like Cindy, it was part of my imagination. So was things like Star Trek, Conan, and Mad Max. I'm kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to that stuff. But it was probably Lord of the Rings, especially with my dabbling, not dabbling, you know, complete headlong dive into Dungeons and Dragons that kind of set up my entire, you know, viewpoint of what fantasy worlds are. Okay. And I will always compare fantasy worlds to lord of the rings i don't care what you're writing if it's something new or whatever i'm going to compare it to that um so back when we were able to laser discs were a thing and lo and behold i got my hands on the ralph bashke lord of the rings Mm. and i thought that i had just entered into the gates of heaven because i was seeing what i imagined in those books being presented on a television screen that's interesting 
Now that movie, I think for whatever reason, it hit all the right buttons for me. It portrayed much of what I thought the Lord of the Rings detailed in the writings, what Tolkien detailed. I loved it. Granted, I knew that there was more to it. And I really had a hard time, excuse me, hard time accepting the other ones. Uh, what were the, the, the ones that were kind of weird? You the know? Rankin Bass ones? Rankin Bass ones. Well, there's a yeah. way, there's a way, you know. Oh, <laughs> See, See, okay, now hold on, because we're gonna have to dip into this because I have a contrary point here. But yeah, those I I enjoyed, mm-hmm. but they did not portray to me or reveal to me in my mind's eye, or it didn't take what was in my mind's eye and put them on the screen. Mm-hmm. The Basky one did. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, uh, sorry, Cindy, you have uh, what? What are your thoughts on the um, the Bakshi Lord of the Rings? I don't have any. You just triggered. <laughs> you just triggered childhood when you said that. There, there, where there's a whip, there's a way. My mother. Oh my word! She sang that song for months after we watched that movie. Well, no, wait. You got to remember. There's the there's the rotoscoped one by Ralph Bashke, and then there was the Rankin Bass one, which was Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King. There was two different animated series or shows. Right, out. and that's that's why I actually think I don't I don't believe I have seen the Bashke at all. I oh think my gosh, Cindy! Oh, wow. I know. I know. I think the one we saw when I was a kid was the Rankin Bass with that orc so, song. In it. <laughs> uh, J- Peter Jackson actually lifted some shots and scenes from the Bakshi. Almost uh, material. directly, almost yeah. oh, wow. scene yeah. for yeah. scene. Yeah, you got to watch it just for that. You'll you'll okay. pick them up right away. Okay. Um, Cindy, we're going to get together and we're going to watch it together. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a cool movie. Like, okay, so here's Go my it. actual... <laughs> My first brush at all with anything Tolkien was the Rankin Bass Hobbit mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And I friggin' loved that movie. I thought it was amazing. I did too. I did um, too. I love the art style. I love the the you know, the weird watercolor backgrounds. Maybe they're watercolor. They are in my memory. They, they seem like that, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just just the whole art style, I really loved that movie. And it wasn't until years later I read Lord of the Rings. But the Bakshi Lord of the Rings didn't work for me because, well, I mean, it's pretty flawed, but it does have, I think tonally, it it kind of captures it a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, it, it because it was so different from the Rankin-Bass Hobbit, I was like, ah, this isn't what I want. And maybe that's the case. I mean, I was inoculated with the Bashki before, well, I can't say that for certain, but the Bashki one just inoculated me for what I was expecting from a visual interpretation of Lord of the Rings. And when Cindy and I went to go see the movie together, and then I think Cindy had a harder time with some of the changes in the fellowship of the ring than I did. Mm -hmm. And I remember a discussion that we had is when we finally saw two towers, she was less, she had less issue and correct me if I'm wrong, Cindy, if I'm speaking out of order here, but I think I said to you, I said, I think after seeing the fellowship of the ring, you've been vaccinated, inoculated, whatever to those changes. And you're more accepting now. That's certainly true. And, um, more prepared for him. Mm -hmm. Although I wrote what to this day, I still think is a great defense of the, the movies before they came out. Um, 
if everything was the same, there would almost be almost no point in making the movies. You would not have anything different, anything value added, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. Um, I mean, if it just went beat for beat and dialogue for dialogue, there'd be yeah, almost no point. Yeah. Except like mm-hmm. I mentioned before, for people who never, ever, ever will read the books, then, you know, there might be a point there. Yeah. So I had written that before the movies came out, but, but I knew even as I wrote it, <laughs> that it was going to be difficult. Yeah. Um, and it was that, I mean, and this is what I always say, the look and feel and the casting and the cinematography and the props and the everything the visual of it was stunning and will never ever be surpassed. Well, we're going to have to, yeah, we're going to have to talk about this when we move on to the whole uh, rings of power part of the discussion, but I want to bring up something. She brings up a very good point. The visuals, the everything, as she said, was just so spot on. We got to talk about this cast. Okay, because I'm reading something right now, and some of this I knew, but some of this I was like, holy cow. Okay, did you know that Patrick Stewart was considered for Gandalf? I did. Yes. Okay, (laughs) right. I I know Cindy did. She probably, (laughs) she knew that. You're going to unearth some old stuff. Like, I nerded it very hard on Lord of the Rings, Okay, uh, so the movies. But they, they decided, they even then, once Patrick Stewart was not somebody they wanted, Max von Sydow. Can you imagine him? He would have been wicked. Oh, he would have been fantastic as Gandalf. That said, I mean, obviously, Ian McKellen. I almost can't picture anyone else at this point, and I wouldn't. I I wouldn't trade Ian McKellen for anybody, but um, Max von Sydow would be really good. Yeah, and even (laughs) didn't the studio try to get like Sean Connery? Well, I'm I'm getting into that. I'm getting into that. So that would not have been cool. With 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 Gandalf, also they even thought and considered seriously Morgan Freeman. Now we'll get into that discussion about <laughs> race here in just a little bit. I know, wish and, they had so that, <laughs> so that at this point people won't scream woke at every goddamn thing. Yeah. See, 20 years ago, they also had a black actor in a right. thing. Oh my God. So, Sean Connery was discovered. Uh, Christopher Plummer and Sean Connery were uh, considered for Gandalf. So oh, Christopher uh, Plummer would have been the ruin of everything. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So Galadriel, can you imagine Lucy Lawless or Nicole Kidman as Galadriel? I cannot imagine anybody but Kate Blanchett. Honestly, she was just so perfect. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine Nicole Kidman's face in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Her frozen <laughs> face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, wow. now what about, here's two. I'm just going to pick uh, Jeremy Irons, who always chews on scenery, no matter yes. what movie he's in. He's Especially chewing Dun- on- <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons, he chewed that scene. Yeah, <laughs> right? Malcolm McDowell or Tim Curry for Saruman? Tim Curry? Tim Curry could Who be in cool. the world? Oh, man. No, I cannot with that. As Sar- Saruman? Tim Curry? Doing some doing Tim some Curry penny, is very, very, very action. good at what he does, but yeah. no. Okay. So well, I mean, now, Christopher Lee is friggin' perfect for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they said that that was their best decision. Now we go on to Aragorn. Now I think that Vigo Mortensen was the undiscovered jewel gem 
diamond of that movie. Yeah, perfect. He was perfect. But they had considered, and this guy is one of my top five actors ever, Daniel Day-Lewis. Ooh. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, I can see that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, can you imagine him? He could do anything. He could do anything. Because what I had known him in was um, Last of the Mohicans. I I mean, that's kind of. Yeah, I yeah. can totally see that. Yeah. yeah, that would be something. Yeah. So, and then finally, you know, film it. I'm sorry, what? Dean. Oh, no, go just, ahead. Go ahead. Did he what? Didn't they actually film some scenes with the other guy though, Stuart, for Aragorn, Stuart. Uh, Stuart Townsend. Stuart, Stuart yeah. Townsend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's forget, he? What's he in? I don't. Nothing. <laughs> that's. Yeah, that's right. I remember that they did. Uh, replace him, okay. He, he was in, in a couple things at the oh, time. I, I got it here. He was Dorian Gray in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, and he was in uh, Anne Rice's Queen of the Damned, which nobody saw. Oh man, I can't remember why he was gone. If it was a, if it was he wasn't working out, or if he dropped apparently, out. But apparently, he, he was, was too young. <laughs> too young. Well, so, how would you guys feel about either Nicholas Cage or Daniel Craig for Boromir? No. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, no. I, I would take Craig, but yeah, you know, I wouldn't choose it. <laughs> Sean Bean. I mean, this was the perfect cast. To it really was. The perfect yeah. Movie. Yeah. They could there, not have picked anybody better for any position. I'm trying to honestly. I think Orlando Bloom was the weakest link in all of that. I would agree with that. I would agree fine. with that. Yeah. I mean, it kind of just all you need to see is where are they now? And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's great, but uh, I think he served the part. Yeah. So, um, all right, we've been talking about the movie and we've been talking about the books, mm-hmm. but one thing you know we got to talk because Cindy's a published author and Matt's a published author, and I'm just a low life who's running the <laughs> audio production. <laughs> Whatever, um, dude. <laughs> Listen, hey. <laughs> I mean, how many? I mean, we would need what a thousand hands worth of fingers to say how much Lord of the Ring has influenced different things in popular culture. I mean, yeah. we could sit here for hours and rattle off ways. I mean, just about every video game, fantasy video game, certainly Dungeons and Dragons, any RPG and type of stuff. And I think it set the stage for many, what you would call high fantasy books. Oh, completely. Yeah. 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 So. And, I mean, and to, I would say at this point, the books that are still trying to ape Lord of the Rings aren't very cool. It's it's not a. I'm not saying don't, um, like be influenced by it, but you got to bury. You can't just use the surface level thing like oh we're going on an adventure as a party and right yeah you you know that stuff is dead kind of because of Dungeons and Dragons. And, and other and other things, right? Yeah, yeah, and we've talked about that with the whole sword and sorcery genre, you know, the Conan pastiches and stuff like that. You know, yeah, if you're just exactly. trying to if you're trying to mimic or you know, yeah, copy Howard Robert E. Howard, you're going to fall short. You yeah. just will not get to that level. Better to sort of make your own mosaic of your influences than uh, directly lifting, perhaps. Yeah. So, Cindy, who would you say that in terms of authors that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say comes close, but does a good job of being heavily influenced that, you know, does a good job of reaching that level of Tolkien's status? Well, here's the brutal truth. I tried when I was younger 
in high school and in college and a little after college, I would go to the bookstore. Someone would someone would tell me this actually happened more than once. This maybe happened three or four times. Somebody, different people every time would tell me, you've got to check out this one. It's second only to Tolkien. <laughs> like these were people who had read a lot of fantasy. Mm-hmm. And so you'd think after the, the second time I tried it and it was no good. I wouldn't have kept listening, but I did. There was like, there were several people who said this to me and I went and I dutifully got the book they said, and it was nowhere. It was just nowhere close. And I can't even tell you the name of the primary one I'm thinking of because it's just, it didn't make it out of the year it was published. Nobody knows that book now. Was it the broken sword by Paul Anderson, Paul Anderson, or was it sword of Shannara? No, uh, Shannara made it out of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I made it out of the year it was published in. This was, gosh, I can't, I, and it's not like I didn't read it. I did. I read the mm-hmm. whole thing. It just, and so after a while I quit, I haven't read any fantasy in a long, long time. When I was young, I liked, um, younger, I liked, um, oh, what am I thinking of? The Dungeons and Dragons books, you know, the ones. Oh, um, um Yeah. Uh, what were they called? Uh, Dragon Dragonlance. Dragonlance. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, for all that they were um, put into the, you know, D&D formula and they had this and that, they were really good. They were well-written. They, they kept their world consistent. They, and everything else, um, there were a couple other things I read. Like I read David Eddings. Um, I will say, and this is painful for me to say because I don't really like Robert Jordan, but the first few books of The Wheel of Time. You enjoyed? Came, came close. Okay. Not, And when I say that, I want to be very clear. I don't mean they came close to Tolkien. I just mean you, you asked a very specific question, did a good job of being influenced by. Mm-hmm. And I would say he went pretty far in making a consistent world and making consistent characters that could stand in that world and, and not have them be just lifted out of our world, if that makes sense. Um, And then he went completely off the rails and I didn't finish it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We did an episode on the wheel of time and as much as like I found the first couple books readable and fairly compelling, they just, just uh, I didn't yeah. feel like I wanted to sign up for another seventeen of those. Fifteen, yeah. You just can't yeah. keep going like that. You have no. to, you have to resolve things. Yeah, Even I, if things aren't neatly wrapped up with happy endings in real life. You have to get to some resolution in a story, or yeah. nobody's going to read. You just yeah, and like, keep- and stop milking it, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't someone will come in and say, well, Steven Erickson. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. But like, you don't, there's no story that needs 15 books to be told. I just don't, I just don't agree with it. The, you, you edit, edit <laughs> or put stuff in the appendices or something, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think the hard part about scratching the Tolkien itch um, and I think the same goes for like Robert E. Howard when we're talking about the original Conan stories is that the language and the style of the prose is something that is fairly unique to the author. And if you try to replicate it, it's tough and you're doing it at your own peril. 
and trying trying to ape a voice like that uh i don't know like people are going to notice and i think that i think it's those voices that make us uniquely us and so if you're trying to scratch that itch with tolkien i think the language and the sort of grandiose um presentation of that story i don't know you got your work cut out for you yeah i completely agree with that you mm. can tell a similar story and this gets back to the you know the bones of what we said is the appeal generations later you can tell good and evil mm. without trying to well your word i'm going to ape your words and say without trying to ape that style because we just I just read this out loud to my husband and son over the last uh, few years I think we finished it middle of middle of last year um I love that she reads the books out loud to her family <laughs> they, they, but they sound so good yeah they sound so good I was mm -hmm. struck again because it had been a little while since I had read them inside my head and um I just was kind of taken aback yet again, as many times as I've read them by the formality of the language, mm. by the by the grandeur um, of the prose and the way that he expresses. And I'm just like, there's just, I mean, it's no wonder that I just stopped reading fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> it, that, yeah. uh, and I think you hit it, Matt, use your own voice. Because mm. I, I mentioned David Eddings five minutes ago. There's, those stories were light I mean, that's very light textured. He could just rattle them off, you know, oh, he's bringing out another trilogy. It's kind of the same thing. And while they while they had a similar cast of characters, you know, there's a wizard, there's a boy who has to go do a task that he doesn't think he's suited for. You still, I don't know, I never got the uh, feeling that he was trying to ape Tolkien. He just kind of did his own thing. And, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to stand up 10 generations from now, but they were fine. They didn't, I guess I'm what I might be getting at is they didn't offend me by having somebody say, these are second only to Tolkien. Mm -hmm. It's like, why do we have to, why do we have to categorize it like that? Well, it's, now, yeah. It's, you it's, have a good story of your own. <laughs> yeah. And, and, but publishers love that stuff, right? They're like, Oh, well, it's like, you know, it's the publisher and like the movie studio. We're going to yeah. find, well, you know, Nicole Kidman made, brought in X number of box office, her last movie. So let's make sure to put her in this one. Yeah, exactly. They only know how to stereo. Yeah. I mean, the film business is a business. And so I guess that's, yep. that's where that comes in. Right. It's like, yep. if we can get a sweet quote by someone that people like, and it says Lord of the Rings meets game of Thrones by way of the hunger games, then oh, everyone's oh, excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the thing with the language is that like, and I just want to bring it back to the movie for a second is that it did, um, I'm sure if you're a very close book reader and you've read the books a million times, you know, you take umbrage with certain adaptations of uh, the verbatim text, but like, until at last I threw down my enemy and smote his ruin upon the mountainside. Like, that's so badass. Yes, and, it, it is. And, it's, and it's in there, right? Yes. Like, yeah. And so I got to give it credit for I just feel like this movie, the movies really skirt the lines of doing what it needed to do um, and preserving what it could. And I mean, we can debate in, in the, the, the finer points, but damn, I feel yeah. like 
the fact that they got the language into a major Hollywood film that had three and they were three hours long and people adored them. Yes. That's a, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. That is a good, good point. Uh, because I was going to bring it around to, um, we were talking about what works in the books that would not have worked in the films. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of stuff that didn't really work in the film too, though. So oh, sure. Yeah. And, but, but you make a really good point that the fact that they could still preserve because that um, scene you were talking about a minute ago, though, in the movie, it takes place in Moria and in the book, mm-hmm. it takes place right in Frodo's living room in Bag End. The language. Oh, really? oh yeah. Oh. I've got it. Um, as soon as I go back to my other book in the Kindle here. Um, you know, I've she's got, got this annotated. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me. I, I am not encyclopedic <laughs> about this. It's like broken memories of. Um, yeah. It re- takes place in Frodo's living room. Uh, That's cool. He's, he's sitting there. Well, they sit there for the entire day. And mm-hmm. I think for two days. While Gandalf tells him everything that's happened in the last 15 years, how he went to Gondor, he found out it was the ring. He had Aragorn hunting for Gollum. He had did this and this, that. So now he's up to the part about Gollum and he tells Frodo verbatim, you know, Gollum whined this and he said that. But in the end, we learned that he'd been to Mordor. Anyway, this is the bit. Um, Mm. Now, at any rate, he is as bad as an orc and just an enemy. He deserves death, said Frodo. Deserves it? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. And that's all in there. And so actually, Matt, you've made me a little more charitable because now when I get to the part where, you know, they throw Aragorn into the river with his horse for no, no good reason. Whatsoever. That was my biggest gripe of yeah. all and three. He comes back all draggled and there's Legolas with his hair. Perfect. Not a single blonde hair out of place. <laughs> looks him up and down and says, you're late. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, look, you look terrible. I'm like, yeah. You know, as much as I as much as I am glad that they got, you know, that scene we were just talking about in there and the language they preserved and the way Gandalf spoke and all of that, I I still I still always when we get to that part, I just think really? Yeah, I feel you. That's just oh. Hollywood. That's Hollywood shit thrown in for sure. <laughs> I feel yeah. like how can the same screenwriter who took these scenes directly from Tolkien yeah. write with a straight face a line like that? Yeah, it, right. it just I don't understand the the dichotomy of the ear that went on there. But it would have been yeah. wicked if he said you're late, and Aragorn was like, "Our Rangers never late." Precisely <laughs> <laughs> what it means to. <laughs> uh, well, okay, this is a good segue, I think. You know, because we're talking about what's in the book and what's in the movies to kind of segue into this new series that we got coming up. It's on our radar. It's coming up in September. It is just a few short months away, and it's called The Rings of Power. And The Rings of Power is nominally about the Second Age. Um, Cindy, I don't know how, how much information you've got on this new series coming up, but it's coming out on Netflix, or I'm sorry, on Amazon. Um, and it's purportedly taking some of the information from the appendices, which I just got done reading, and there's not a lot of information there. <laughs> I think um, I think it's exclusively drawn from the appendices, isn't it? Well, like, I, think that, a, I think that's the rights that they have. Like I don't they, think well, they can, I don't think they can do Silmarillion. Uh, what's interesting about that is, though, 
most of the stuff that's in the appendices is told in further detail in the Silmarillion. Right. So, so they'll, yeah, yeah. So they may not have any rights to the Silmarillion. I don't know that part, but you they do. You can't stop them they, from reading the Silmarillion no, and using the, it as right, influence. The yeah, they won't be able to quote it, but yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's a lot of people, I mean, uh, who are very excited. I'm one. I cannot wait. I'm so excited for this because much like uh, in many of my loves, you know, more Star Trek, even if it's not really good Star Trek, is still good. You How know? about if it's really, really, really horrible Star Trek? How about that? <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, you're kind of pushing a little bit of an envelope for me because the recent Star Trek Discovery, I'm not a fan of it. Not because people are complaining that it's woke or this and everything. It just is. It's just kind of boring. <laughs> you know, it's just boring, you know, um, but I watch it. Which is a word I might have applied to a lot of Star Trek over the years, but uh, I'm not getting into it. I'm not, I'm not getting into it. Well, there are some boring episodes. Yes, there is going to be. Yeah. You cannot hit it out of the park with everything. So anyway, but you got this Rings of Power coming up. And if they don't have the rights to the Silmarillion and many people, I would say for as many people that have read The Lord of the Rings, Cindy, would you say that maybe of, of the number of people that have read Lord of the Rings, maybe only half have really tried to read the Silmarillion? Less, far less. less. Yeah, that's that's I'm pulling that number out of my ear, but I'm pretty confident. Yeah, Many, I, much less. I'm the only person that I know of that's read the Silmarillion more than once. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <that's, laughs> Matt has now, read the Silmarillion for the record. Put that out there. If not, I did. I read a couple pages and I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> um, I should point out, though, while I'm sure when you say they don't have the rights to Silmarillion, you mean the whole book. The Silmarillion is broken up into five parts. And the main body of the Silmarillion with the part that's called Quintus Silmarillion is about the first age. Right. And I believe only the first age there. It, and so that should not be at issue if they mm. have rights to the append if if the series okay i'm guessing because the series is called the rings of power <laughs> this is going to be strictly set in the second age which is when the rings were made yes. i believe that's true and, yes um up leading up to the third age which is the events of uh, lord of the rings and just previous but um shoot i lost my train of thought the um but as I was saying, I did. I skimmed over those appendices today um, to get mm-hmm. ready for this talk, and um, mm-hmm. realized very quickly how much of it is in the Silmarillion. Right. Um, because you... there's a part at the end of the Silmarillion called the. Well, there's one part called the Rings of Power. Yes. <laughs> and it's but called, um... I can't think of what it is, but it's like chapter four or maybe chapter three that is yep. basically oh, the rings of power and the third age. That's exactly what it's called. Yeah. But this so, is all on the second age. So it's, it's a little bit deeper into the Silmarillion. So. Yeah. Hmm. I, I actually glanced at the appendices today. Um, and I noticed it was like on the first couple of pages, it talks about how <sighs> Tolkien says that, so this information was essentially relayed after the events of Lord of the Rings when he's talking to it's like Gimli visits uh, Pippin or somebody at Gondor. And this is where he's getting the information. Is that true? Am I getting that right? 
that's just yeah, that was the little that was the little conceit fiction conceit he threw in there to satisfy yeah. the people who you know the, the to go along with the conceit that Bilbo and Frodo and Sam wrote the book, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I just, yeah. I had never actually, I remember when I first read the books, I was like appendices, bah, I don't need that. <laughs> yeah. And then today I was like, well, have a look at these. Right. And yet one of the most moving stories, one of the most moving stories. Um, and that actually was somewhat incorporated into the movie of return of the King is only to be found in the appendix when it's, it's, it's the death of Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Cool. And how he he chooses the time of his own death, and Arwen is left. <laughs> she's and left, yeah. hmm. left to face her own death now that she's chosen to be mortal. Right. Yeah. So we've got this kind of a, a nebulous amount of information that Amazon's going to try to make this. What I guess it's eight episodes for the first season, and they've already greenlit it for two seasons. Um, but a lot of people who worked on the original Lord of the Rings and Hobbit are part of the production and stuff like that. Howard Shore apparently is scoring. Oh, that's that's good. Didn't yeah, know that. yeah, yeah. Um, and then somebody that both Cindy and I, I think, have met both in different times. Uh, Tom Shippey, who is a Tolkien scholar, was an advisor on this film. But apparently he, he was. I read that in that article you sent me. Yeah, but then apparently he spoke too. He spoke too much. <laughs> I was amazed. Yeah. yeah, and that speaks well for it. If they're digging that deep for authoritative, you know, uh, people to kind of help them along with this production, that that's great. But apparently there are other lore experts now that I don't know if they've been mentioned or not, but with Tom Shippey being in it, maybe he was there for the first bit and development. So it could be good, but you know, we've already got people and something that Matt and I have talked about a lot is, you know, you've got the Tolkien canon, those people, those few people, those handful of people that have read the Silmarillion um, are kind of up in arms about some of the stuff that's coming out. Mm-hmm. with the trailer and such and you know um i can't help but think that did they forget that they also love the lord of the rings movies which is not a hundred percent canon you know <laughs> um i don't have a problem with uh what is one of the biggest things that they're griping about right now is a uh, a black-skinned elf and a uh, a black-skinned dwarf without a beard Mm. <laughs> and now granted granted there is evidence and there is proof and source material that tolkien said that dwarf women are indistinguishable quite often to the untrained eye from male dwarves because they have facial hair that is true and i'm stopping myself right now from frantically trying to look up the passage because i want to know if he said all of them uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I sent something to Matt and and our other rogue Logan, and I think it's I don't know if he said all, but it certainly said dwarf women. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I've kind of said before with with stuff like this, it's like the reality. What, what regardless of what you think or if you want to say it's woke or it's uh, it's that you're looking at a billion dollar production here, right? And in 2020, what are we? What goddamn year is this? 2022. 
if you're putting a billion dollar production out there and you have a piece of fiction that doesn't lend itself to any actors, you know, to few actors outside of white actors, it's just not going to fly. So uh, I guess I would say it's like, I don't think the whiteness is crucial to Tolkien's story. Now you can say it's like, it's rooted in, um, you know, I think you could probably argue it's very British, um, but I don't think that necessarily means everyone has to be white. And if, if even if it's going against particular source material, I just don't think those are worth getting hung up on. Yeah, that, that's my that's that's my point of view with it. Subtle changes like that. If if it's still a great story and the characters work, I just don't give a damn. You know, if if we're including actors of various walks of life, yeah, I could, I I will agree with that. Although I would like to see as the Silmarillion is an incredibly uh, detailed but yet verbose <laughs> bit of writing, mm. and it too struck me with you know in my mind's eye with all kinds of wild, wonderful imagery and stuff like that. Hopefully they can kind of come up with that. And if the stories are good, I'm in, you know, hook, line and sinker. Yeah. Cindy, what's your temperature on this series? Where, where, where are you feeling? I think Dean's going to take me with him because I. (laughs) I'm 47 years old and I don't need any more of what Hollywood can do with Tolkien. And I didn't really know that I felt that way until I just articulated that just now. I, mm-hmm. I was, I was kind of ambivalent. I knew they were doing it. I, del- I just didn't bother to search out any details until Dean said, "Here, look at this. This is what they're going to do with the series. And what do you think? And let's go talk about it on the podcast." So, okay. So I read that um, article he sent. Um, it looks good. I mean, it almost can't not look good because they have the Jackson movies as the gold standard to go by. They have a billion and $15 billion to do it with mm-hmm. or whatever it is that they have. Um, and they know if they've got brains at all and they appear to, um, they know they have to live up to a certain notch on the yardstick up to the Jackson film standard. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. I don't. I don't think they will get the audience they need to repay it, to repay the budget without doing that. So it looks good. I and they're helped by the fact that we don't have day to day. We don't have. Oh, there's so much. There's so much to unpack in this question. We don't have the day-to-day lives of any of these characters from the second age. We don't have, this stuff is told at an even greater height. Yeah. Tolkien, Tolkien came down from the heights to tell the story of Frodo and Sam and Mary and Pippin and Aragorn. He came down from his, his narrative scope is usually more like, and Fianor caught the light of the two trees inside the jewels of his devising, and they were the love of his heart. We don't, we don't see 
how Fianor and his wife act when he goes home at night from the from the jewel smithy. Mm. We don't see what he has for breakfast or, you know, him sleeping. This is TV. It's going to be the day-to-day lives of these characters. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, well, this business there, Lara, they're like this forbidden love between this this healer woman and this Sylvan elf. I'm like, well, there were there were any number of love stories between humans and elves. And then I went and skinned the appendices today and I was brought back to reality. No, there weren't. There were three. Hmm. And they were all epic and integral to the to the scope of the story he was telling from 30,000 feet. There right. were only those three unions between humans and elves, Baron and Luthien. Um, Idril which which and, deserves uh, an episode or a story by itself. But that's first age. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, um, of course... Arwen and Aragorn. That's it. Yeah. So yeah. she's right. I mean, was... the Silmarillion, I think I read somewhere that the Silmarillion was really Tolkien's. That's what he really wanted to write. That was his love. That was his love. So if he had only stayed with the Silmarillion, we would never have had the Lord of the Rings in the, I mean, we'd be missing out on so much if he did just stuck with that. So he had to come down from on high as Cindy <laughs> said. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I think it, I think it'll come down to, because I think the screenwriters are going to, as you say, they're going to stay at their, they're going to look at the source material from 10,000 feet and they're going to pluck out the things that they know they can make a compelling narrative out of. Right. So I, th- I, I think the deciding factor will be, how well they capture that tone of the books, not only the books though, but also the sort of tone from the film. And when those two things, or when the film is on, it, it helps capture the tone of the book, but they kind of have to do both because realistically a major, I would say a majority of the, um, the rings of power audience is going to be film fans and nostalgic film fans for this series 20 years ago that they loved when they were younger. Yeah. So it's going to be about capturing that tone. And I think the minutia will matter less. It's also interesting too, that it's going to be, this is a very expensive series and it's going to be eight episodes. So as much as it will be sort of somewhat about the day to day, um, it will have a, it'll have a more cinematic feel than your average show because it's big budget. Um, so I don't, and, and do you think it will be, this is my question and, and knowing very little about the appendices, do you think it's going to be a story where the sort of narrative, uh, the, the, will the threads meet, right? Will you have all these characters meeting one another or will they be in their own pockets where they just Ooh. sort of, Tell it like almost Game of Thrones style where whatever's happening in the North is completely divorced from what's happening in the South. And, you know, like how, right, how much are these threads right. going to connect? I don't know. Yeah, well, that's a very good question. And I don't say I don't think this is necessarily the answer, but it might lead to some surmising of it. I just found this. It said the writers had to identify all of the references to the first and second ages in the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit 
which are primarily in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings, but also in certain chapters and songs, and then create a story that bridged those passages. Tolkien's estate was prepared to veto any changes from his established narrative, including anything anything that egregiously contradicted what Tolkien wrote in other works about the first and second ages, referring to the Silmarillion. Uh And then the writers were free to add characters or details in the gaps between the passages that they could adapt and work with the estate and Tolkien lore experts to ensure that the stories they created were still in quotes, Tolkienian (laughs) and true to the source material. So I think we have our answer there is that they were given permission to take the story. And as long as they treated it with respect and kid gloves, they could kind of build upon it and elaborate and maybe not so much divert from it or, or, you know, kind of go off subject, but, or uh, off topic, but, you know, as long as they made it feel like Tolkien, I think that they're okay. And, and frankly, I will be okay with that because I, I know very little of the other stuff. Yeah. But if it doesn't have the right feel, it doesn't have the right look. It doesn't have the right music. It doesn't have the right. Those are the things that are going to hurt me as a consumer. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently it will have flashbacks to the first age because I don't know how you can actually bridge that gap without referring back to something. So there's got to be a creation story or episode somewhere in this series. It's going to have to fill in some stuff. So we'll see. Yeah. I saw that photo in the Vanity Fair article of Galadriel in full armor. Plate armor, Dean. Yes. Yes. No chain mail bikini for Galadriel. (laughs) She's got some chain down on her legs and stuff, but up, man, full plate. Yes. And it said, as commander of the Northern Army, and I just went, hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I'm, I, I didn't immediately jump all over it and say that that's not that can't be right. My but, enthusiasm was it wasn't sexed up. There's where I was coming from because yeah. in Matt and I's world, every <laughs> every, yeah. every female warrior wears a chainmail bikini. <laughs> yeah, if you even if you even so much as Wonder Woman, her you're done. You can't. Yeah, you just can't do that. Yeah. yeah. But as I was skimming through the appendices, I think it was the appendices. I also skimmed a little bit of the, yeah, it had to be the appendices. It said um, there were, um, there are a bunch of um, basically wars that took place at the same time as the great battles between Minas Tirith and Sauron were happening at the end of Return of the King. Um, And after, and after that battle, armies from Sauron marched out against, um, Dale and mm-hmm. the Lonely Mountain, they marched out against Lothlorien and Galadriel and Celeborn turned them back. They, they, they turned back every assault. The power of the, the power of her ring basically helps them do that. But it also said that after that was done, they went to Dol Guldur which had been the fortress of Sauron before he moved back into Mordor. And it says Galadriel. It didn't say the armies. It didn't say Celeborn commanded. It said Galadriel threw down the walls and laid bare all the pits. Like a one woman army. Yes. 
It's now she's wheel, she's wielding that ring. Right. Yeah. And can we get into that a little bit? This is called the rings of power. And yeah. I, I'm going yeah. to, I'm going to quiz Cindy here and I know she's going to pass a hundred percent. Um, can you name the three rings of the Elven Kings under the sky? Vilya. Yeah. Nenya. Yeah. Narya. Yeah. Narya, the ring of fire. Correct. Belongs to, um, the master of the Grey Havens, whose name is escaping me at the moment because my brain is foggy. It started with a C, but it's not Celeborn. Um, Sudan. Sudan. Kirdan. Kirdan, yeah. the shipwright. Yeah. Thank you. And he gave it to Gandalf. Mm-hmm. Take this ring, master, for you will have labors. I'm not quoting it exactly. Damn, um, she's good. I'm looking he, at it and she's good. <laughs> for you, yeah, you will have labors as you work to kindle, rekindle hearts in a world grown cold. Yeah. Kirdan knew that he was going to be basically buried at the Havens. He knew he was never going to leave the Havens again. Right. The ring that he had was going to just stay buried there with him. He gave it, he gave it to Gandalf to move among the peoples of the world and fight. Right. And that is the ring of fire. Now, Nenya is the ring of water. And I believe that uh, that was the one that. Uh, uh, I think that might be a movie invention. Nenya is the ring of adamant. Which Yes, yes, might- yes. Adamant. And that was the one that Galadriel uh, yes. wielded in, uh, in Lothorian. Yeah. So I'm not sure what these rings do exactly, but apparently. So vague. Tolkien yeah. leaves it so vague. Yeah. They, uh, Galadriel and Elrond and Gandalf wield these rings. We're never told what they do with them, which yeah. is, it's. That's it's right. Gandalf's hilarious. like wearing a ring yes. in, uh, yes. yeah. in the films. That's right. Yeah. I hadn't mm-hmm. even. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Red ring. Now, apparently the, the, the trick of these rings is that my understanding and from what I've been reading also is that the rings are invisible. They don't make the people that wear them invisible. So you don't really see them. Yeah. Yeah. But they don't say what it is. And as a D and D player, Matt, I think you'll agree with me. We got to know what these rings do. (laughs) (laughs) I need to know the mechanics. That's right. What die do I roll? (laughs) I'm not, I'm not sure if it's when the wearer of the ring allows it or if it's innate to the person, because in Lothlorien, Frodo sees Galadriel's ring. They are by the mirror. She takes Frodo and Sam with her to look into the mirror and Frodo sees the ring yeah. and then he understands because before that was just a rhyme to him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He understood about the ring wraiths kind of, and obviously he understood about the one ring, but when he sees Galadriel's ring, then he understands way more. And after, after the vision is passed, Galadriel is talking normally again and she turns to Sam or first she tells, tells Frodo, you could see the ring and not everyone can. She turned to Sam and said, could you see my ring? And Sam said, uh, to tell the truth, I wondered what you were talking about. I, um, I saw a star through your finger. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So this show is going to be about these rings. I don't know how much they're actually going to play a part in the rings. I mean, you've got the seven for the dwarf lords and their halls of stone and the nine for mortal men doomed to die. And those are even more <laughs> obscure because Apparently, the magic doesn't affect dwarves in Middle-earth, which is a direct relation to, if you remember, Matt, in first and second edition D&D, dwarves could not be magic users. 
Can they now? Yes. Stupid. <laughs> See? What the shit? No, yeah. that's stupid. Sorry. Purists, yeah. <laughs> man. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, apparently the, the ones for men just are basically slave collars. Interesting. You know, I mean, they make them, you know, they, they fall under the men fall under the spell of the ring. So mm. at least that's how I'm interpreting it in very layman terms. So um, that's woke. That's totally woke, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Why are men, okay, the vulnerable ones all the time here, okay? Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Uh, uh, oh, so um, I don't know where 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 else we can go with this discussion, but uh, you know we've got the Rings of Power coming up in September of this year. Um, oh, we should end by um, trashing the Hobbit films. <laughs> uh, we could do that. We could do that. Um, no, I let's have- let's let's not get into the weeds. But let me just ask you that. I'll tell you my sure. rundown, and you guys can give me your quick rundown on the Hobbit movies. The first film, I'm watching it. I'm like, ugh, the pacing's weird. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, move past it, move past it, move past it. And then by the end of it, I was like, okay, that was all right. I'm interested to see this second movie. I think I think I might be in. And then I watched the second movie. Yeah. And I hated it. And then I waited until the third movie showed up on TV somewhere and like I was probably at the bottom of a bottle watching that. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell is going on? What are they riding on? What is all this? I, <laughs> yeah, there's so many things. I, that movie could have been a three hour long single film. As a fan of the Rankin Bass version, I was appalled at how poorly paced the whole thing was. It was so badly paced. You yeah. cannot. You cannot even name check Tom Bombadil, but you're going to give me 25 minutes of screen time of Radagast the Brown. Yeah. Oh, I got bird shit in my hair. Check this out. Like, I don't even want to look at that. That's funny. I don't. That was that was all of, I guess, Jackson's. I don't want to put it all on him if I don't know it's him. But, you know, he was in charge. That's all his like lowest level chamber pot humor coming out there. And literally, literally later there was chamber pot humor. And I'm just like. Mm, no yeah Yeah. did he forget that he made the lord of the rings i don't know what happened all three of those movies kind of run together for me i can't tell you which bad thing was in which movie it was like all one big the dragon wonderful yes the hall looked yeah looked beautiful inside the mountain wonderful benedict cumberbatch and uh, his buddy who played watson who's Name I always forget, even oh, though I Freeman, love Freeman, Freeman, yeah, Martin Freeman. Freeman. Yes, Martin, Martin Freeman. Freeman. Not Morgan. Not Morgan. Not Morgan. That's how I'm going to remember that in the future. <laughs> he Martin was Gandalf. Freeman. He was Gandalf. Martin Freeman. <laughs> oh yeah, he was. Gandalf. He was. Martin Freeman was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, he, he was. Yeah. Not there could not have been anything better. And and that the Gollum encounter in in the first film was great. Was very you, good. You, you clip that out of there, man. That's great. Yeah. yeah right on. It was right on. Bilbo for Bilbo the dragon. Gollum. Thorin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, then you get outside the mountain and it's just like everything else found a different rail to go off of. It's like, yeah. are you, were you serious with this, 
this three-way love story in the <sighs> Sylvan Elves. Yeah. Are you serious right now with, like you said, the bird stuff and Radagast's hair? Are you serious right now <laughs> with this business in Lake Town and the dwarf falling in love with the chick elf? I can't. And they need to stay away from stuff like that in this series. I think they will. I mean, that that's actually, that is where the Hobbit films will be a benefit because they will be a blueprint of what not to do. I think, I think you're right. They've got, they, their, will. they got their wrists slapped on those. Yeah. And I think they'll remember that. And just the stupid things like, okay, we got Bard. He's got the black arrow, but we're not going to use a bow. This is Hollywood. He's using uh, a ballista now. I, you know, <laughs> I'm a weapons guy. And yeah. especially when an archer comes across as the hero, yeah. I have a very soft spot in my heart for that. And when he went and had yeah. the world's largest crossbow, I was like, you gotta yeah. be freaking kidding me. <laughs> Black arrow. You have never failed me. That was the rank and bass version. I was quoting there. Yeah. They over, <laughs> I think they may have overthought that. Yeah. Just like, over, it was overcooked. Like just crazy. Yeah. yeah. And no, you know, they, they did probably, it. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, just that, you know, they didn't want people going, you can't shoot an arrow that high into a dragon with any kind of force whatsoever from a longbow. Yeah. And here's my buddy Dean going, yes, you can stop it right now. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the rest of us would not have given that a single thought. Tolkien said the man aimed the longbow and it hit the dragon. That's all yeah. I mean. I would have said like a terrestrial creature can't breathe fire as well. Um, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and Cindy, uh, you probably don't know this, but I've said several times on this show, the biggest problem with the Hobbit films is that it's just scene after scene of little people falling everywhere. They're falling down a mountain. They're, they're falling, falling down a tree. <laughs> they're falling down a tree now. Oh, look, they're falling on the boardwalk in the dungeon of the, oh, look, they fell into a barrel that they were just supposed to be in. And let's barrel ride for 45 goddamn minutes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they fell in the river. You know, they filmed that in, in 70, uh, 70 millimeter and at a ramped up speed. Oh, so I when, hated that ramp up speed. It kind of made me sick as soon as I sat down in the theater, to be honest. Well, when they got into the action, a lot of which was CGI, of course. Yeah. yeah I, it kind of became a blur to me after a while. It did. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They would pan. They would pan the camera. You know, quote unquote, pan the camera around the the mountain from a pie. These were the opening scenes, and I was like, did this movie just jerk? Do we mm -hmm. not have better technology than this now? Did this movie just pixelate? What just happened here? Yeah. 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 It was totally awful. Well, I mean, even just changing over to CGIing the orcs and goblins, like, what are you doing? They looked cool when you didn't do that. I know. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. we could go on all day, but I think it was yeah. a simple matter of like Peter Jackson was hot shit at that point. Um, he had a surrounded by yes men, and he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. And right. But George Lucas had a compressed timeline. Yeah, 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 exactly. He had the, he had that sort of power. Um, but the thing that really that I will never understand, I don't think, is that, okay, so The Hobbit's one book, right? And I mm -hmm. think you could probably successfully tell that book in three hours. But let's say you don't want to. Let's say you really want to milk this and you want to get three films out. Why didn't you just do three hour and a half films? Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. You, you can still get those arcs in there. It would feel less bloated. You could have more showings at the theater. Like it just that I will never understand it. Yeah. 
And didn't we have enough to drive the plot without a super orc being after them all the time? Just, <laughs> yeah. like, just, like, in, just like in the Lord of the Rings movies, yeah. you know, the scene changes and you hear, banana. <laughs> and it's like, wait, where have I seen this before? Yeah. I understand this is the same author, but it's not the same story. You didn't need that. No. That kind of makes it, you it, wonder it, if, uh, if the Tolkien estates was like, you know, they just close their eyes to the whole thing. Yeah. And because yet, that was straight out of, I don't know, out of the appendices or the Silmarillion or something. That yeah. that that particular orc. I yeah. still thought he was. <laughs> that's how sad I was during the movie. It's like, yeah, that orc's back. He's cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was kind of my takeaway. I was like, this is kind of cool. It's better than the small people falling and bird shit on <laughs> wizards' heads. And, you know. Oh, oh look, there's rabbits pulling the sleigh. Well, let me just do a whimsical dance in the theater. Like, I, what's awful is I wouldn't have minded more about Radagast, but yeah. not like that. Well, no, and I remember like reading about Radagast somewhere and like, that's a that cool was, name. It's a cool name. I was like, about it. that whole business that I was referring to before with the scene where Gandalf's telling Frodo the whole story and they're talking about Gollum, he deserves death. Hmm. That's where he tells him. Um, right. I, okay. Yeah. Radagast helped us find him in the forest and he did this and that and oh shoot lost my train of thought but <laughs> yeah it was in there but you could you did you didn't have to make it like that no and if oh, you're gonna go that direction yeah, make him compelling <laughs> that that's exactly what I was trying to say they had so much compelling material just in that story the hunt for Gollum yeah which was I believe what that was about if you want to fill in the backstory of what was going on, it's all there. You don't have to, you don't have to um, cheese it up. Yeah. The yeah. Way they did. yeah. Yeah. They basically, they basically uh, took the, uh, you're late and just <laughs> leaned into it. <laughs> that, that sort of crazy, stupid tone. Definitely. Uh, the, the frying pan to the head. I think I'm beginning to get the hang of this. Oh, yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. hold on. Okay, I got to ask this before we forget. There's something Gimli says that in the movie, it's like a, it's like something that only makes sense by today's standards. Is anyone, is that ringing a bell for anybody? Nobody tosses a dwarf. No, because that's like, that's like the Hobbit, right? That comes from yeah. tossing a, like, I feel like that tracks. The thing is, the trick is to just keep breathing. I don't know. There's something, there's some exchange. It might be between him and Legolas. And you're like, what the hell? How would they know about that? Or maybe I'm conflating and I'm thinking about where the orcs are like meat is back on the menu. And you're, that's, oh that's orcs. a big one. That's a big one that a lot of people like menu, yeah. like orcs have. Yeah, you're imagining an orc at a fancy restaurant wearing his tie. He's like, Oh, I see there's meat again. This is good. Yeah. What do they got? Like, you know, it, it, you know, is there a menu or a cafe at Orthanc or something like that? Yeah. I mean, maybe they would. Yeah. A menu. <laughs> Come on. So, all right. Well, um, I think that we've pretty much exhausted what, we can talk about well uh i'll back up on that i think that we could probably talk a lot more but we've been at this yeah. now for pretty close to an hour and a half so um, i can i can take one plot and fill three three-hour movies with it <laughs> so yeah. don't don't tempt me frodo <laughs> so um I, I really want to thank cindy for coming on rogues in the house uh yes well, thank you you are not our first female rogue but you are our <laughs> second female rogue 
Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming. Honestly, uh, we're not not trying to have female representation. It's that uh, you know, there's not we don't encounter so many who uh, are doing stuff that uh, relates. So it's like, thank you. Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying there aren't as many females as males who want to do this kind of thing? So that equal equality of numbers is not really a thing. Might that be what you're saying? I don't know well, what I'm saying. Well, yeah. I, okay, let me let me let me let me track it back to. Sort no, no, no. What I mean is that's the reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There aren't as many females who are going to talk about this stuff. So I think yeah. that might be. Yeah, I would say in fantasy at large, I I I seem to see a lot of like you know a lot of people on uh, fantasy groups, a lot of uh, females reading it, but sword and sorcery certainly that's a. That's kind yeah. of a dude's genre. Yeah. Um, Cindy, you are in good company. The only other uh, female that we've had on this is Sarah Frazetta, who is the granddaughter of the famed artist Frank Frazetta. So, oh, my. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So. Very nice. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining us and, and uh, imparting your wisdom. Um, Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, and and I want to say just for a second too, I I, I kind of nerded out when Dean uh, told me about your credentials there with the One Ring because I was that was like sort of it wasn't the early days of the internet, but I remember when the movies were rolling out and checking articles on there between films and getting the scoops. And so I was like, Oh man, I had forgotten about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, that was yeah. all we had back then. I we yeah. we had we had the lady on the ground in New Zealand. And um, she, uh, it was great. Yeah, yeah that was awesome. And Cindy, weren't you uh, Sean Astin's handler at some convention? I did. I, um, for uh, two, maybe three years running, it was three. I hosted um, dis panel discussions at, uh, oh, mind blanking, the Cincinnati Comic Expo. Brain, of course, was wanting to say Comic-Con. It's not that. It's the Cincinnati Comic Expo. And um, one year they had um, Sean Astin and I'm going to look up names to make sure I don't get them wrong because there's you could so just You could just tell us and we'd still be impressed. Great. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean Astin and Graham McTavish. Ooh, um, ooh really? that, yeah. Dean has a bit of a yeah. crush on Graham McTavish. Yeah, he's, he's pretty cool. Who doesn't have a crush on Graham McTavish? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a big, he big, is, tall, good beard. Yeah. yeah, he's he's a yeah specimen. And, and so so sweet and nice. <clears throat> I had a friend, um, a friend met us at the at the expo um, earlier before I was going to do the panel, and we we walked around the hall, and Graham McTavish was there at his table, and. There wasn't a line and there wasn't anybody. And my friends, um, I forget what year this was, but she was very young, five or six year old daughter had, you know, drawn the pictures. She had drawn pictures of the hobbits and and things and her, her little shirt said barrel rider. And um, <laughs> she had drawn the pictures to take to Graham McTavish and Sean Astin is what I'm trying to say. And so there he was. And we walked right up to him and my little friend, um, you know, very shyly gave him her picture and he was just so sweet and kind and chatted, chatted with us. And um, it was just, just great. We had to wait. Uh, we had to wait for the actual panel to give, uh, to give Sean his, his picture. We didn't encounter him in the hall. He had a huge line, but um, 
We, yeah, it was fun. We, there were three panels. Uh, Graham had one by himself one night and then it was the two of them together to talk about Lord of the Rings. And then it was Sean Astin by himself the next day. And um, yeah, they're on YouTube somewhere. uh, There was the year before they had had um, John Reese Davies. Oh yeah. Who's incidentally quite tall. Uh, ironically yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the other dwarves from the hobbit who played the actor played dwaylen i'm going to say um it wasn't thorn I, or keely nobody knows about him hardly <laughs> <laughs> they you know that's a lot of people to split lines up between yeah yeah oh no and i'm mistaken um graham mctavish played dwaylen um it was it was a different hobbit that they had or a different mm. dwarf. Sorry. It's getting late at night for me. A different, a different actor playing a different dwarf that they had with John Reese Davies. And the year before that they had had, um, man, you have brushed elbows with a lot of famous just, Lord of the Rings just actors. These three years, the Lord yeah. of the Rings stuff kind of, um, died down after that. And they didn't have quite so many, um, actors from those films on. So I kind yeah. of dropped out and, um, no, but the name I'm trying to come up with now is, I really do know these names in my brain. I've just been, I've been sick for a couple of months and it's not, brain is not working. Billy Boyd. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. 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 Was, Billy Boyd and Craig. Um, Billy Boyd was um, Pippin? Yes. Yeah. Oh, he was yeah. so good. Yeah. Yeah. He just did fabulous. So Matt, I'm going to call on your, uh, 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 impressionist talent here to take Shoot. us out. Who do we want him to take us out with? You know, Gandalf, Aragorn. How about, how about Sean Connery as Gandalf? How, you know what? <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> no, I want him to do Gollum. Oh, I don't want to do Gollum. Gollum impressions are like Mike Myers impressions or like Austin Powers impressions. I like, I, I don't even like to look at Andy Circus while he's doing the voice. I respect it. I think he's very good at it, but it's like, I, yeah. Yeah. And I don't like watching somebody do it. Yeah. Um, I can give you, I'll give you Gandalf. All right. Well, you're going to give us Gandalf as we go out. So Cindy, thank you again. Once, once more for joining us on rogues in the house. So, uh, yes, thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Matt, take us out as you would. (laughs) May your swords. Always remain sharp. Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> it's best All I right. got. There you go.